This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of May 18th, 2015, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 229 of Defender Radio. When conflict arises between coyotes and humans, the coyotes typically get the short end of the stick. Trapping, hunting, and all-out culls are always on the horizon when coyotes are involved in these incidents. But it's not always a coyote who is responsible for perceived or actual conflict. Sometimes it can be predatory birds, other terrestrial mammals like bears or raccoons, and it can even be domestic dogs. Finding the truth is the ultimate goal whenever and wherever conflict exists, and that's the specialty of Coyote Watch Canada. Leslie Sampson, founder and executive director of Coyote Watch Canada, is an expert coyote tracker and runs dozens, if not hundreds, of investigations into coyote and wildlife behavior in communities each year. She joined Defender Radio recently to talk about the process of investigating wildlife conflict, the need for public education in this time, and the analysis of some recent wildlife conflict events from across Canada. We hear a lot in the media about coyotes being involved in various conflicts, and it's not just coyotes, it's pretty much all wild animals. And one of the things Coyote Watch Canada does that's somewhat unique is go and truly investigate scenes of conflict, whether it's with pets, humans, or even just property. Uh, let's start and talk a bit about what is involved in one of those investigations. What are the steps you take? Essentially, when we get... Um asked to come in and do an investigation or they ask for our, you know, experienced advice. We really do prefer to go out to the actual scene of where an incident occurred. So if it's not physically possible for myself or my local reps to go, we do have uh, volunteers in other communities that can do that. We've also walked um, city officials through an investigation over the phone, what to look for, gathering that evidence. So it's it's a, a real interesting process in that it just it just doesn't involve going to the actual um, location where an incident occurred. You also do the interviews with the um, residents that are involved, with city officials, and try to pull out what are facts and what are assumptions or our beliefs. And so when we go into a new um, investigative scene, we are a blank slate. We don't go in with preconceived ideas that, oh, we're going to prove it wasn't a coyote or we're going to prove it was. The evidence speaks. And if the evidence isn't forthcoming with a definitive identification of what, what animal was involved, then we, ha- we deny um, confirmation of that. And I think that's, you know, really has to be front and center. And why is it important to say, I don't know, or we don't have enough evidence to support a statement at this time? Why does that matter in this process? What we're seeing over and over, uh, there are very few communities that are comfortable in saying, we just aren't sure. Frontline response personnel feels there's pressure. They have to come up with 
a, a definitive identification. Coyote is always front and center. They sell newspapers. They, they're a sensational animal. There's so much misinformation out there, and yet this animal keeps being the epicenter of all these conflict situations. And so I think we have to move away from having to always have that answer because sometimes we just cannot confirm 100%. And so our perspective is if we cannot confirm 100% that this animal or this species was involved then we say at this time we are unable to conclude definitively that yes, a coyote was involved or yes, a domestic dog was involved. Um, there are pieces of information coming in and over time the big picture usually reveals itself. One of the things, uh, as you know, uh, my background when I started in journalism was actually in crime. Uh, and that's how I, I very much approached a lot of the wildlife stuff uh, I did and we did together. Um, one of the, the common themes is always the, the uh, means, motive, and opportunity is what investigators look for. In the case of uh, coyote conflict, I think the means and opportunity are, are pretty common, um, or at the very least, um, the the animal involved. Well, the means is obvious, the opportunity is obvious, but the motive I think is often the thing that people don't consider enough and very quickly just say, well, they're vicious or they're, you know, they're rabid or they just apply some kind of adjective. So how and why do you approach that concept of motive in wildlife conflict? So first of all, I think as um, communities, we have to appreciate and realize coyotes are living amongst us with very little interaction. Most folks will live their entire lives and never, um, you know, have a sighting of a coyote or a fox or depending on if you're in the northern community, communities, a wolf. So I think because a coyote has been uh, observed in a community, there's a heightened awareness. Now, whether that awareness is based in fear or facts will lend itself to a situation escalating, a perceived escalation not necessarily an actual escalation in conflict. So I think um, for from our perspective in looking at um, communities that are already in a state of perceived conflict, it's uh, it takes a lot of work to bring citizens from that point of reference to a point of reference that truly reflects what's happening. So because the coyotes walk through somebody's backyard doesn't mean that because your dog went missing, that coyote took your dog. And I think we cannot allow ourselves as citizens and, and especially personnel that are working at the municipal level to become complacent and accept that as um, a, a really uh, a responsible conclusion because it's just not the fact. We don't know if the evidence isn't forthcoming, then that investigation process has to really include, okay, you know what, are there bird feeders in the background? Is there evidence of owl whitewashing in the tops, uh, you know, and at the base of the tree? So a small dog or cat can become prey for a predatory bird. 
Is there an issue uh, with your neighbor next door? All of these things come into play, and when we do that one-on-one investigation and the interview with residents and really get up close and personal with folks, and again, we do appreciate that community members are so ready and willing to share um, really parts of their lives with us. We do appreciate that, and it's imperative for us to get to the bottom of what's really happening. And I, uh, I guess I, I, I should ask out of responsibility when it is a coyote, uh, because today we're going to be talking a lot about when it isn't a coyote, but when it is a coyote, what's the response? And, uh, uh, you know, be, whether it's the human conflict with other animals or with property, what's the next phase following that identification of species? So if we can conclude that a coyote was involved in a shadowing um, incident where, you know, somebody was being followed or um, there was uh, interaction between a domestic dog and a coyote. Looking at that location, okay, how do we get to this this point? What brought us here today? Is there, um, you know, just an abundance of feeding taking place by people with the wildlife? And 99.9% of our work involves those attractants and then the one percent uh the human aspect that we we aren't being responsible for our um pet companions so if we're allowing our dogs out for that late night urination without safeguarding them and having them tethered uh that animal is prey driven and curious and will run if coyote is feeding out in the bush or hunting way out there the domestic dog is going to hear that um, and I think then you assess the location and look at the degree of uh, people's behavior in terms of um, habituated feeding and what steps can be immediately taken. So you've got those immediate steps to be taken to really bring a uh, level of harmony back to the location. That's the first short term and then looking at an overall longer plan that will really engage the community, empower them and also provide that uh, fundamental information, the education aspect to make informed decisions and to know because most people when they realize that, gosh, that bird feeder in the background can attract an owl, um, we have great testimonials from folks that have moved from a place of really being unaware to being totally aware of not just what's happening on the ground, but also in the sky and in the trees too. And uh, before we start talking about some recent events, I thought it would be a, a good opportunity to revisit the first time you and I met when I was dressed wildly inappropriate because I had no idea what we were going to do. And I was an office guy at the time. Um, and uh, the, the brief background for listeners was a girl in a suburban community had been laying in the snow in her backyard. Uh, she saw a coyote, or her mother saw a coyote across the fence. She got up and ran towards the house. The coyote jumped the fence, went up and snipped at her leg. And again, we say snipped because the injuries that were sustained was a bruise. Um, and it led to a great deal of speculation, a great deal of... Um, politicking and uh, at least one coyote we know was killed shortly thereafter uh, you and I had gone out and we uh, ventured around the community uh, from walking in the streets to uh, the ravine and the pathways behind the streets 
Um, and to me, it was a very revealing opportunity for me to learn what you look for. Um, could you uh, uh, reminisce a little for the uh, listeners about what it was like um, sort of going into that neighborhood post-event and what we found? It's a really uh, great opportunity, first of all, to engage with the community, um, personal, upfront and personal. And so we know when we're going into uh, a location aside from the Niagara region, we're going in there knowing that this community ticks always differently than what Niagara would tick like. And so you're keeping that at the forefront. There's some uh, details and really um, aspects of communities that no matter where you go, it's always the same. And so I had ideas of what to expect, but again, you're going in with a blank slate, hoping that the facts will reveal themselves. And I, I recall saying to you, look, I, I suspect that we will find new food items very close to where that um, little girl had the incident with the coyote. And sure enough, we, we had looked and there was some evidence of some recent uh, coyote activity. There was a few scats left on the paved trail. But when we got to the backyard area, the ravine portion of our investigation, sure enough, there was fresh food items that were left there. And this was right across from where the young, uh, the young child resided. So, you know, these kinds of incidents, coyotes just don't all of a sudden engage with people that way unless they're sick like any other animal. You know, animals that aren't feeling well uh, will have a different behavior than an animal that is functioning healthy and, uh, you know, able to navigate through and around us without really much um, discourse. And so I think what stood out for me was that you said, holy smokes, I, I, Leslie, I cannot believe the, the garbage. <laughs> There's food in these ravines, right? There's so much food in the ravine. And, you know, the community has to take this ravine back and become the, the great stewards that they can be and clean it up and encourage that education to be front and center. And, and you know, a, a coyote doesn't reach that point. And there was incidents that led up to that highlight that really got the attention of the media and municipal um, officials. And so there were uh, quite a few incidents leading up to that, that really as frontline responders, we need to act on those sightings. And so I think you, I remember you saying to me, this, this didn't happen overnight. There were reports of coyotes interacting with domestic dogs in, a, in an assertive uh, manner. And that's indicative that food items are being served up by people. And so for us to ignore our indifference is not an appropriate response. And the investigation aspect, I mean, that should have been what was coming out in the media over and over. Like, hey, folks, there was food there a week after this incident, but nobody brings that up. The media brings up little girl in incident, uh, uh, bruising, and, uh, you know, but the terminology that the media was using at the time is a little girl was attacked, survived attack, and really just her, really irresponsible 
um, sensational uh, titles for the articles and interviews. And um, so I think for you as an investigative journalist and your background in, you know, doing those criminal investigations and articles, I, I think it was a real eye-opener for you in terms of, okay, this is what's happening, but this is what's being reported in the newspaper and on, on uh, television. Yeah, and it was, it was very interesting. Uh, it was about 20 yards behind the house where the incident took place. We found uh, someone who had been dumping their food waste. And there was actually a gate built into the back fence, which was illegal, allowing them to drag their waste out. And we later learned a few months after the municipality took your advice and started implementing uh, property standards bylaws, there was a woman in that neighborhood who was directly feeding uh, fresh meat to the coyotes. Uh, it should also be pointed out that was the first of many times I saw you play with poo. <laughs> I know. People get really turned off by that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's like it's not the most um, endearing uh, characteristic somebody recalls. Oh my gosh, you you play with scat? Yeah, I play with scat. And then when your two year old takes a stick and starts dissecting a fresh coyote scat, <laughs> you know that they're really watching and emulating who you are. <laughs> That's why I never stay for dinner. Either, yeah, guys. you were frightened. Uh, you were frightened of it, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. But it was it was very enlightening and it's empowering for yes. people to see really what's going on in the community and you know, really making those vital connections, right? We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in, destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring. Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment, your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control will humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit us at gateswildlifecontrol.com or call 416-750-9453. After a night out with your friends, there are always options for getting home safely. You could call your BFF, take a cab, or maybe you'll grab the last bus. Now there's a smartphone app to help you choose your ride, Find out more at arrivealive.org. Millions of animals are killed for their fur each year in Canada. You can help stop the cruelty. Join the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals today and be the voice for those who can't speak for themselves. Find out more at furbearerdefenders.com. This is Defender Radio. We're back with more from Leslie Sampson of Coyote Watch Canada to talk about wildlife conflict investigations across Canada. I do want to talk about some of the recent incidents that have been coming up in the media. Um, the first one is one that you have been heavily involved in, uh, and the media, I think, has done a reasonable job uh, in reaching out to yourself and a couple of other experts on this. And it's uh, a story which is very easy to sensationalize, um, in which a, uh, a couple, a young couple were out hiking and the, uh, the female companion was knocked down from behind and ferociously attacked by, uh, what was initially described as a coyote. 
Uh, and of course, immediately the municipality kind of went into an alert mode. The police sent out notices. Um, but then within a day, I think it was yourself. And I believe it might've been someone from animal control, uh, were offering caution in reaction to this news saying something clearly happened, but do we know it was a coyote? So could you walk us through that process of, of getting involved in it that way and what we have found to date? So, uh, they did reach out, um, they did reach out to us to, you know, see what our, our assessment was of the information that was provided. So my initial discussion with, uh, Jonathan Schur, uh, the reporter was essentially these, these are the questions that I have. Um, do, do you have answers to these questions? And, you know, he, he was quite, um, willing to look at that and say, yeah, you know, that's, yeah, we, we don't know about that. And so I, I found it interesting in that, um, you know, again, it's, it's really, um, it's really, I guess, a wake up call for us when we are, again, willing to take an, uh, you know, information that really doesn't say much and conclude something from that. And I think we've got to allow that staff, the frontline responder, an opportunity to say, look, you know what? It, this could, this is a, this is a description of a dog. How do we know it's coyote? Based on the behavior and the nature of the incident and what took place, it sounds Gosh, a, lo- a lot like a domestic dog. Could you and, could you say what some of those specifics were? Because uh, I find that to be of interest myself. Well, just the the continuation, uh, the jumping up from behind, and yes, coyotes will follow. They shadow um, folks, especially when it's uh, pup rearing time or mating, and if there's been an incident with a particular dog in the past. And um, one of our advisory council, Janet Kessler, has. Um, discuss this in many of her blogs in San Francisco that, you know, those coyotes remember when that domestic dog has chased and harassed them and they will shadow that dog. And of course, if people have been feeding the wildlife, they're going to be a little bit more demanding for those food items, right? So we're not really sure what's happening in that location. And that's where really the questions, um, should be more prominent in trying to figure out and get to the bottom of things because, you know, the, uh, an animal that's continuously going after a human, um, that really, that behavior is somewhat uh, dog-like, yes, but really, was it coyote? Hmm. You know, if you look at, uh, you can find any footage all over about, uh, you know, how domestic dogs interact. And I know even when I'm in the bush doing investigations, dogs that are free roaming that have bad manners, you know, attempt to jump up on me too. If I was elderly or younger and not as, uh, uh, you know, assertive in my body language, those animals would have bowled me over. And then what happens? And then there's screaming and, and, you know, fighting and young dogs will do that behavior when they're playing, but it escalates quite quickly, right? So they're feeding off of our energy too and how we're reacting. And so this young, you know, the trauma of all of that, and that's the other thing. Details, when somebody's traumatized, 
I mean, you know, it, it's hard to really um, reiterate what many folks see when there's no trauma. And so you couple it with that. And I mean, we're just so, uh, we're always relieved to hear when, um, citizens come out of situations and they're, they're not as harmed as they could have been. You know, we're just happy to hear that. Absolutely. And, um, as we've, we've gone forward in this story, uh, and I've been following it too, um, all of a sudden, everybody else is starting to back away from the it was a coyote and we need yes. to be careful statements so yeah. do you, does that lend itself to saying maybe this wasn't a coyote now that these facts are presented sort of just uh laid out in order without the adjectives so to speak well again i think you know everybody wants an answer and sometimes there isn't one or sometimes it's going to take weeks or maybe you know, details will come forward. And and when people are involved with an incident, you know, there's other extenuating circumstances. And so that's why the beauty of doing that one-on-one -on -one interview with someone that's gone through a traumatic experience, um, that's why it's so important because you're able to really get to the heart of the matter. And sometimes, you know, what we want to hear and what actually happened are two different things. And it's not about whether, like for us, and I mean, a lot of times we'll have, you know, certain uh, uh, individuals will say, you know, you just, you don't want to accept that it's a coyote. For us, community safety comes first. Regardless, dog is a dog. They're all from the same family. If there's a situation where there's um, behavior that's not typical for a coyote, you need to get to the bottom of it because even if you go out and you dispose of that coyote, that same behavior in the community is going to be there. If there's feeding going on, killing one coyote is not going to stop and educate the community on the essential importance of not feeding and not providing the food and what's happening on this trail system, that, that whatever, whatever the animal was, what is really going on on this trail system that... Um, you know, would bring us to this point today where, you know, a young person was, was, uh, you know, pushed down from behind. And the other thing too is maybe this, you know, I, there's details again that aren't available. We don't, we're not aware of them. So if somebody is fighting back on the ground, um, Maybe there was a lot of, uh, you know, screaming and, uh, you know, again, these are details we don't have access to, but our behavior really uh, can have an impact on our domestic dogs, right? So it's always, uh, you know, and I mean, I know that you have quite ex extensive experience with several dogs in your home, and I know with mine, we do rescue. And there's, you know, there's certain periods of time in the beginning when they first come back home into our home, we cannot have little people in our home. And so, you know, again, so many unanswered questions, but I think we have to really allow, and it's okay for frontline responders, animal services, um, animal control, for them to say, look, we're not really sure. Doesn't mean that somebody doesn't have the expertise, they're being honest and saying, look, we cannot confirm this at this time. 
and we might not be able to confirm this at this time, but we will do our best to ensure that a thorough investigation is done and we have a good handle on what is actually happening in this community at that location. And you know, that's something that police... Um, when it's not involving non-human animals are very quick to say because they don't want to jeopardize their investigation. They don't want to jeopardize future court proceedings. Uh, so they hold back a lot of information until yeah. they realize what it really says and what they're able to release to the public. And that's something that uh, originally frustrated me with uh, dog attacks. As you know, that was one of my big passions with uh, quote-unquote pit bull type breeds. Yeah. Uh, they would immediately say it was a, a pit bull, even though it was very likely you know, like a golden retriever. <laughs> um, and it's a bit of a joke in the media. But uh, nonetheless, it, this also brings to mind a uh, uh, an interesting moment from a, a symposium you and I and my colleague Adrian uh, had uh up in cornwall there was we were there we did an investigation uh we froze to death mostly one night and um we uh uh did a, a presentation to the community which by and large was very well uh heard so we talked about uh, all of the different assets of of what we do but at the end one gentleman came up and said that his his sheep had been killed and he demanded to know why we were protecting coyotes when they were doing this. And when I approached him and said, if this was a coyote and the behavior he was describing was a coyote, it was very abnormal and we would want to come and find out why. But he refused. And that's something I've seen a couple of times since then. So yes. why is it that some people don't want an investigation? They just want a response. Well, it's one of two things, right? <laughs> Either they 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 don't want the truth to be to be known, or it, it's hard to move away from the belief of something that it's comfortable. It's a place where, okay, do I have to actually look at myself in all of this? Or um, I, I remember that uh, gentleman you're referring to actually, and you know it's unfortunate because our our uh, experience is that when there are incidents with uh, coyotes or wildlife, people are just so happy to get to the bottom of it. They're not going to deny you access to their property. Uh, they welcome you. They welcome the trail cams that go up um, to get to the truth because they want it resolved and, and a, an opportunity to mitigate. So when somebody refuses, got to ask myself, why? Why would you refuse the help? And whatever it is, we're okay with it. We just were seeking the truth. Um, and that leads into the uh, the final thing I wanted to talk with you about. And it's been a very difficult subject to broach uh, over the last several days. And that is two separate deaths. One in Manitoba uh, of an 11-year-old girl and one of a 27-year-old man in northern British Columbia. Uh, in both cases, um, the media reported them as bear attacks. And uh, there are a few aspects of this I'd like to talk about. Um, and... The incident in Manitoba with the young girl, very little information has been released, so I don't want to speculate on that case. But in British Columbia, a lot of information was released, and there are some conclusions now. Um, for the listeners, the BC incidents, uh, which we did write about on our blog at furbeardefenders.com, um, a man and his partner were camping uh, in a remote region, and... Um, 
She slept in an RV. He slept in a tent the next morning about 100 meters from the campsite. He was found dead um, with apparent uh, marks on his body. They were never fully described. That could be related to a wild animal. When conservation officers or law enforcement officers arrived, uh, they immediately shot a wolf that was nearby and then later that day killed a bear. Now, we do now know that the BC coroner has ruled it death through trauma caused by the bear. Uh, we don't know if it's the same bear, clearly. Um, so the first thing I want to uh, discuss is what, and again, it is a very sensitive subject, and, and I can't be overly uh, correct in stating this for lack of getting to the actual answers. So when we look at a body that's been left in the wild, for more than a few hours, is it not normal to find numerous types of marks on that body from various wild animals? Absolutely. Um, through our uh, different investigations over the years, uh, especially in particular one location where uh, wild uh, wildlife bodies were being dumped, there was obvious trauma from um, dogs, you know, uh, really brutalizing uh, coyotes in a, in a horrendous way, but there were also other animals and different things happening, domestic dogs being dumped at the site too, and I know this might be a little bit hard for uh, your listeners to hear, but it's it really is, um, you know, to, you have to grasp and understand that in nature, if something is deceased, there are so many other animals, insects, um, reptiles, and I've seen snapping turtles actually eating from a carrion animal. So, and carrion is just that scientific word meaning uh, an animal that's deceased. And so you have those cleanup crews in Mother Nature, but what we're finding, especially depending on the location, animals will um, feed, and it might not even be feeding. They could be testing the ground. What is this animal? this dead animal and I, I we found in the past very rarely do we see coyotes um you know consuming dead raccoons and we cannot we we don't have an answer as to why our trail cams have revealed just a, a, a big indifference with that so i think you know being able to appreciate that animals will feed on other animals and we are part of that bigger family I mean, it's traumatic. I, I can't, my uh, my heart is, you know, it's broken for a family. I, I don't even, there's no words to um, really, uh, and so it, it's difficult even from our perspective to have to, um, you know, we get calls about uh, coyote situations and it's it, not comparing the two, but you're, you're really uh, stuck in a difficult place. Losing a family member um, is uh, something that, you know, if it can be, um, if it can be looked at and learned from, I think that's the only real, um, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, consolation from that. Because what happened in these situations? Can we look at them and learn something from it? Can we take something away from that? Um, and I don't really know in terms of the incidents with the bears, if at this time that's possible. I'm hoping in the future um, that uh, 
somehow um, things will be learned from it. So, And what can people, um, advocates, day-to-day uh, animal lovers, really try and do um, when something like this happens? Because obviously a lot of us, we want to react with anger. We want to... Uh, uh, lash out and say killing these animals is wrong but in a time when people are grieving um, to me it, any kind of anger will really just make it much more divisive so how should we and others approach these situations I always you know have this discussion with our representatives that will be engaging with community members um, we we can't even begin to ask communities to be compassionate if we are not able to show that same compassion for each other. And so, you know, when there's uh, uh, an incident that ends tragically involving a person or a family pet, um, you know, you have to be open and loving in your approach to that. And they might not be ready to to work on um, looking at that and maybe providing an opportunity for learning for folks in the future. People need time to grieve, first of all. And secondly, I think we cannot make it about um, the other. We have to be inclusive and really honor a person that is suffering and their hurt or their fear or their anger and listening and being compassionate and just allowing them an opportunity. Uh, sometimes that is really all we can do, but it's surely, it's a lot. It's, it's really quite a lot. And, and, you know, I've dealt with some really tough situations over the last 20 years. And I'm always amazed at the resiliency of people's spirit and their ability to somehow uh, make it through the dark times like that. And so, you know, I think as advocates, we we have to keep that front and center. We want to promote compassion and understanding and tolerance, and we must show that to one another um, on a daily basis. To learn more about Coyote Watch Canada or contact them, visit coyotewatchcanada.com. That's the show for this week, folks. I'd like to thank my good friend, Leslie Sampson, for her time, as well as Brad Gates of AAA Gates Wildlife Control for his ongoing support of this program. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.